If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Hey, everybody. It's Mind Pump. Look, uh, in this episode of Mind Pump, for the first 42 minutes, uh, we do our fun time conversation. Actually, this time I got a little preachy. It's our happy time. Let's see if you enjoy it. Uh, this is what we talked about for the first 42 minutes. We talked about our upcoming 1,000th episode. God, I can't believe we've done 1,000 episodes almost that already. That is a milestone. That's awesome. Then we talked about Skinny Dipped, our favorite almond snacks. These are almonds lightly dipped in a thin layer of unbelievably delicious chocolate. The macros are really good, so if you're watching your macros, trying to maintain a lean body, but you want to eat something that's delicious, check out Skinny Dipped, and we got you a discount. Here's what you do. Go to skinnydipped.com forward slash mind pump and use the code mind pump to get 20% off. Then we talked about what it takes to achieve mastery over a subject, Uh, and then Adam brought up my Instagram post uh, that I talked about on abstaining or abstinence, not necessarily complete abstinence, but rather managing uh, yourself in modern life. And uh, that one actually got a little controversial, so you might want to listen to that part. And then we talked about good and bad foods. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, some foods, not that good. Okay, everything's not great. So judgmental. Then we got into the fitness portion of this episode. The first question we were asked is, is chocolate milk a good post-workout drink. Apparently, some studies have come out showing that milk, or in particular chocolate milk, is just as effective as protein shakes for replenishing glycogen and helping with recovery. So we give our two cents. The next question, are pre-workout supplements without stimulants worth taking? And with that, we also talk about the pre-workouts that we like and what we like to take before we work out. Next question, uh, this person is looking to hire a personal trainer. What are the good questions to ask? How do I know if this trainer is going to be a good investment? Mm, and the final final question, is opening a gym a worthy investment? We talk all about what it takes to open a gym, what it takes to run a gym, and when we're going to open a gym in the future. Also, three days left. There's only three days, 72 hours for the MAPS Aesthetic 50% off sale. MAPS Aesthetic is one of our most popular MAPS programs. It is the program designed to train you to sculpt and shape your body as you see fit. It's a bodybuilder, physique competitor, and bikini competitor-inspired program. It has a lot of volume, so your workout's going to be hard. Some of them are going to be kind of long, and you will be in the gym five days a week, but it is very effective. Here's how you get 50% off. Go to mapsfitnessproducts.com and use the code black 50 B-L-A-C-K-5-0. Also, we have other MAPS programs on there. If MAPS aesthetic is not right for your body or for your goals, I guarantee we have a program that will work for you. Go on that site. Go check them out. Pick one for yourself. Again, it's mapsfitnessproducts.com. And the code for 50% off MAPS aesthetic, one more time, BLACK50, B-L-A-C-K-5-0. You know what's coming up? Hi. The, the, our fucking thousandth episode our fucking thousand extravaganza. It's that's a major deal, dude. Do we? Have how we many ta- podcasts have made it? I can't believe we've done that a many thousand episodes. episodes, and Justin hasn't gotten any better. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, you know just what? Been coasting the You're, entire time. We should we should have people do the mind pump challenge. Listen to some old episodes. <laughs> oh God, don't do that. No, no, it's embarrassing. Uh. A thousand episodes. That's a lot of talking. 
It is. You know what I'm saying? I'm exhausted. You know what I was thinking about the other day? Mm. Is how, think about this. How many friends do you have, or people, forget that. How many people in your life do you have that you literally sit down and talk like deep conversations yeah. 10 hours a week? Dude, <laughs> dude, that's the thing that's hilarious. Like, like a thousand episodes of us having conversations is more than any other friend I've even had. That's crazy. Do you know what I mean? It like, is. I, I guarantee I've not talked to my friends that, that many times. That's why I feel like, because I've only known you guys for four years, right? But I yeah. feel like I know you guys way better than that. Well, yeah, yeah no. When, uh, yeah, it, my deepest, darkest secrets. When, when Katrina and I eventually make the time to go get married and stuff like that, I'm I have to have the three of you in my fucking wedding. I mean, it's just it's mandatory. I would be butthurt. Right. I it's would. it's like yeah. I was not planning on those three extra slots. If you would actually, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of reorganized, we just etched our way yeah, in there, everything. Dude. I was just like, uh, I can't let my like my friend who I talk to like once a month or something like that slide in there before you guys. Oh, and you know, yeah, you guys that know, guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who's that guy? guy? And you know we'll make the best speech, bro. Yeah. We know, yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, we know a lot of shit. It'll be good times in, yeah. that, in that speech. Justin will sing it. <clears throat> I will. I'll open it up for It'll everybody. be awesome. But anyway, I'm excited because w- w- I like the way we're, we're wrapping it up because normally we hit a milestone. Like episode 500, episode 800, and we're like, oh, yeah, oh shit. Yeah, yeah, what happened? Yeah. But I like the way we set this up because we're having a live audience of our fans oh dude can i tell you how excited i am about that like i I feel like just the energy like when people come in and we've had we've done it a few times with just like two people Mm -hmm. or so but just to have like some extra people there kind of listening in makes a total different dynamic yeah oh earlier rachel was asking if they should get like snacks or something while they're waiting out in the lobby yeah i want to at least hook them all up with like a skinny dip when they come in you oh know? Hook them up with the chocolate good, almost a good idea get them hooked get them hooked yeah <laughs> get them hooked on the chocolate what do yes yeah, like, what's everybody trying like a drug dealer half of it's people like oh you guys you got me you know i'm getting all these dms of skinny dip like i found it at cvs dude i've just been eating them like crazy it doesn't make any sense the, yeah. the secret so though good. is to not buy the big get mad at me i'm like don't buy their yeah. big bags like you got to buy the little individual ones you know what i do right is i'll, I'll take i take a few bags home at a time i leave them all here yeah. otherwise i'll eat the whole damn thing i've been doing once. the same thing too because yeah. we got all the boxes here and before i was bringing them home to katrina and we were putting them in the freezer forget uh, it yeah. yeah we were just plowing yeah. through them so now it's the same way I'm like, but i, I can't i can't you know it's funny back in the when we first started remember our our flow would get messed up when other people were in the room it yeah it did and like, now it's not it's different now. Yeah, now we're good. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're just we're a little uncomfortable with it initially, but I think yeah, I think we can feed off it. That's why I'm I'm really curious to see how this goes down because this is the most people we're gonna have like watching us what actually it? do a real podcast. I feel like 15? I, I feel like Doug's getting a nervous look on his face with, this, with the, the chocolate <laughs> it's almonds. Like the technical. No, I think he's seeing like the chocolate almonds all over the floor getting in, getting here getting messy. Uh, yeah. So I don't want to I don't want to mess that you up. Put vis- visqueen everywhere. You're, you're not. <laughs> what's, what's visqueen? It's it's that like plastic sheets. Oh yeah. You ever you ever do the uh, uh, slip and slide with visqueen? No. Is that the Western oil party you tried to invite me yeah, to? Yeah. It, was, it, it got freaky. Sorry, I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, you were invited. There won't be a single skinny dipped almond on the floor. Those fuckers will eat them all up. You think so? Yeah, dude. Uh, you don't yeah. drop that. So, okay, well, cause Doug looks nervous. He get that nervous. Most, look food, when we most food has a five second rule. Skinny dip is so good. It's like a five hour rule. Like I look. Oh, what did you <laughs> drop still- that, Adam? <laughs> Yesterday, it's still good. Yes, <laughs> it's fine. Pick it up. It's still got the chocolate yeah. film on it. Okay, yeah. this is all good. Yeah. So a thousand episodes. That's got to be a minimum of two thousand. It's over two thousand hours, right? Would you say? 
Would you say it's about two thousand hours of well, us that, talking? That, that's saying two hours every single well, episode. Well, because some are like a, like it probably averages out to like an hour and a half. That's what you I say. Would, I would say that. Well, we have some like our interviews sometimes have gone. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because right? then we have had some that are only fifty minutes. Yeah. Right? So I, so I would, it's like fifteen hundred hours of talking. The thing that I think is interesting to me about that, we were talking about this a while back to somebody who's who's been listening since the beginning. They're like, oh, man, you guys have gotten so good compared to when you started. I'm like, you know what's crazy is we haven't even hit the halfway point of being considered a master at your craft. It's 10,000 hours, right? Yes. We're not even close. And I, and, I, and I I don't know if you guys remember. I remember there's there was a clear distinction between my, my style, my training and coaching ability after I'd reached beyond 10,000 hours. Once I had put that that ten thousand hours in, I was a much better trainer than I was before that. Mm. Oh yeah, you know, it ta- it takes those reps, man. Yeah, you actually, just look at your client and you just know exactly like, okay, I'm going to do all these things. Actually, so. I have a bad, I have a, I have an, uh, maybe some bad news here. What? what? So let's say you were a trainer, and from day one you did forty hours or forty sessions of training a week, which is a lot for a personal trainer. It's a right. lot of training, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're doing 40 sessions a week, 40 hours, and 10,000 hours requires expertise, divide 10,000 by 40, that's 250 weeks of training to be considered an expert. So it's divided by five. So divided five, by what? Five to six years. Is it what, what, no, so no, no, that's 250 weeks. Divide that by- uh, 52 weeks in a year. Is it? Yeah. yeah so, so that's, that's so it's five years. Yeah, about five years. That's yeah. a lot. I was yeah. uh, I did the math wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what's You're like we never <laughs> yeah, he's we like, never achieved it. <laughs> yeah, we did, bro. <laughs> Come on. Don't take that from <laughs> that's us. That's exactly what he was thinking. Right <laughs> Sorry guys. Damn. We were never experts. Yeah. No, well you remember so after you <laughs> left, you No were, wonder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I could get better. You yeah, asshole. You thought you'd get better Do, at math. Wait, after you left <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, maybe by now yeah. <laughs> we counted 12 yeah right. when, when you, after you left uh 24 hour fitness they started to do this um these patches where you would get like the five when you hit five thousand hours oh really yeah i forget what they call them um but that was that's part of the the minimum requirements to even become a master or at least this is what it was i don't know if they're the same same mm-hmm. rules somebody can dm and tell me if it is but they used to be you had to have uh three national certifications plus 5,000 hours of training clients before they would consider you a master trainer. Mm. Yeah, and then give you the black shirt. Which I thought was cool because I think that I, there's for sure a lot of truth to that, man. There's uh, the, the trainer, I don't know if the number 10,000 is, I don't know where they came up with that, but it seems to be pretty accurate to me. Well, but think about it this way, dude. How that's many years would we have the podcast to hit 10,000 hours? Then? Well, I mean, we that's, <laughs> never. I mean, we're just not that good. Look like at 70. Well, think of this. Joe Rogan is as as good as Paul. He's considered one of the best podcasters, right? If not the best podcaster, he's on episode fourteen hundred, I think. Right, and mm-hmm. not only that, dude did twenty years of media before. He did so, yeah. That all counts, dude. Stand up, yeah. Yeah, that all that all counts. Like we didn't we didn't have any sort of practice like that. I mean, it would yeah, be that's true. Yeah, so uh, no, I one hundred percent agree. I, I agree that it takes that that ten thousand hours before you become a master at that. There's, I mean, look at the growth of uh, the show or our skill sets today. Just going back, and what'd you figure the app math was three thousand something? We're not even at the halfway point, right? For what? How we're, many hours? Yeah, how many hours? Oh, it, we're like well, even if I said two thousand hours, uh, that puts us and that's four. It took us four years to get there. Whew. 
We'll be here for a little while. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I think you have to include YouTube, right? So you would you would include all media that we've had to mm-hmm. shoot, right? Mm-hmm. Or anything that we've had to record our voice. Yeah. yeah. So you would also add all the YouTube videos. And the appearances on other shows. I just... I just yeah, right? I, all I just, the other interviews and yeah. things like that. So you'd add all that. I just feel like it takes... Uh, for me as a personal trainer, I would say, boy, um, I didn't really, really get good until like eight to 10 years into it, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. It took about that long, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's for me, that's about how long it probably took for because as a trainer- It's just a whole nother level. Yeah. As a trainer, I got a ton of hours because I was working, I mean, I was working 10 clients a day, six days a week, seven right, days a week right. sometimes, but then I was quickly promoted. And once I was promoted, I didn't train nowhere near that many hours. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it probably took me 10 years before I reached, you know, that, that 10,000 hours of actually training one-on-one clients. I, I would guesstimate. I, now, what, what do you guys think is the, the, the mechanisms behind that? Because I feel like it's almost, because I'm going to try and apply it to, to training clients because that's the thing that I've done the most, right? And I don't think it has anything to do with the knowledge that I gained. I, I didn't know more knowledge at 10 years than I did at necessarily at five years i think it's just a pattern recognition that's what i think it's intuition yeah because it almost becomes like predictive like Mm -hmm. when you show up uh like even if they're going to ask a question i know what they're going to ask right it it got to that level where you're just like wow okay like i literally it didn't take a whole lot of effort at that point because it's like you you just know Mm -hmm. you just show up and you know well if you were to break it if you were to break it down and look at like you know, the top 10 excuses why uh, clients don't purchase training, the top 10 reasons why clients don't see results, the top, I bet you we could come up with a list and we'd all probably agree on that. Like the, mm-hmm. pr- pretty close, right? Wouldn't you say like mm-hmm. the, the 10 objections, sure, the 10 sure. reasons why someone sure. fails, right? The 10 reasons why someone's successful. And then I could take that number and then I could probably multiply that by, or say that, okay, of those 10, I've seen 50 to 100 people of each scenario. Yeah. So I've got to practice that exact scenario. That person who's going to tell me this objection, have these problems, probably fail this way. So it becomes very predictive, like Justin's saying, like instantly I see you, you say a few things, and I already kind of know where you're going to fit in. You're like, okay, you're this person. I mean, I was just having this conversation with Katrina because a lot of her her coworkers and friends of hers are always trying to get her to get me to train like one of one of them or their their spouse or like mm-hmm. hey you know how much will I, I'll pay out on this I'll pay him to do this and I tell Katrina all the time I'm like you know what like I've already talked to some of these people before and I've given them some things that they need to do first and I and they don't do it so I already know what kind of client they're going to be I have no desire like there's not a, there's not enough of money that you could offer me that would get me to go like okay, let me train this person because I know I'm really not going to help them. They just want, they think that I'm the answer. They think that me, I'm going to give them some magical workout or some magical diet that's going to get them these great results. What, what I know is they're not willing to put the simple work in of doing X, Y, and Z. Therefore, I know the effort that I'm going to have to put in to just kind of limp them along. And I'm just not interested in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and, and I don't even have to start training them when I already know. So that's just because from my experience. It's almost know? like it becomes, I don't know who said, I think it might have been Bruce Lee who said this quote. And I was trying to find it, but I couldn't find it. But it was something like, I don't punch, it punches on its own or something like that he used to say. Where mm-hmm. it's almost, it becomes intuitive. You know what I'm saying? It, where... Maybe the first 10 years of, of training clients, a lot of what I did was a conscious uh, thought. Like, here's the process. Here's what I need to do. Here's what I, needs to happen. 
after a certain point, it became automatic, like yeah. like breathing. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. It's like the difference between, you know, knowing something and the difference in between that and actually knowing it. Like, it's the patterns. It's like Justin said, you've, you've solidified it in your brain. We already know that our brain already works in a predictive mode. It's just you've seen this story enough times. You're already five steps ahead. I think it's the same way in leadership. Like, I've actually probably spent as much hours, probably more hours leading trainers than I actually did training clients. So even my conversations with with staff and people, like I, I feel like I'm at a, another level of like, I, I already know what this person's going to say. I already know how they're going to react. I know if I say this, this, or this, it's going to push them in this direction. If I say this, this, and this, it's going to push them in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so when you've done that so many times, and, and now I don't have to think about all that when I go to have a conversation. It's just my you brain. Just do it. Yeah, you just do it. I just have the conversation, but I'm I'm subconsciously aware of all these different pathways it could take based off of how I guide the conversation. So I think that I really do think everything they might I think of basketball. I played basketball for many, many years of my life and you know, probably wasn't that good until I hit about the ten thousand hours of consistent practice over well, and over. Oh, you know, like if I throw a ball at you, you catch it without thinking about the fact that you're totally, gonna catch it. You totally. see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's the same thing when you have that much experience doing what you're doing. And really the thing is I was ha- who was it I was talking to? I was having a conversation about this exact thing about um our podcast and and you know what we've done and somebody had oh it was on it was on uh, instagram and someone was asking me questions this person has their own podcast and they were saying like how did you guys know how to communicate what you're communicating and they said well first of all none of us had any experience podcasting none of us had any experience with media we had lots of experience communicating fitness and health though that was we had tons of, of experience doing that so when you listen to the podcast, especially in the beginning, what you hear is very amateur, low experience media guys who can communicate fitness extremely well. That's what you heard early on. That's a on. great point. Mm-hmm. And as we get better, it what, what ends up happening is we refine our media skills, but that the message is what we've been communicating forever. So that's not, not something that we need to develop 10,000 hours on. It's the same communicate the same stuff I communicate on the podcast. Is what I've honed over the last 20 years well, that's a good talking point. to clients. Uh, I mean, you probably noticed this, just everything you've told your clients for that block of time, that 10,000 hours, but now we're repeating, you know, again. So now you're, you know, you're, you're compiling upon that knowledge preceding that, which is, it's pretty trippy to think about. And that's why I know that a lot of these, um, you know, modalities and these ideas, like they keep resurfacing or they, mm-hmm. you know, but we, we see a lot of, you know, concerns with like certain, certain, you know, diet trends, certain, you know, fitness trends. And so that, I think that's why we can kind of see how it all plays out. We try well, to communicate that. It's kind of like that question we just got asked the other day about uh, programming and how, you know, what if the science comes out and says that, you know, training frequency is, doesn't matter as long as the volume is the same. And it didn't matter because there's so many other factors that we're actually thinking about when we give that advice. It's not just... It's not just what the science says for a six-month period or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. The other thing, too, is that this same person was asking me, you know, hey, you guys are kind of bro, you know, you work out, this and that, you make those, you know, same kind of joke, but then you guys are super vulnerable and you guys talk about your insecurities and your weaknesses and your problems and they're like, well, how, you know, why do you guys do that? Where did you guys get that from? And I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, you don't see too many guys who are, um, you know, willing to do that. And then I thought and I said, oh, that, 
We learn that from training clients too. Hundred yeah. percent. One thing you learn, totally. one thing you learn training people for a long, long, long time, is you start to learn how to be able to touch them in particular ways to where they can hear what you're trying to communicate. And one of the best ways to do that is to be vulnerable yourself. Yep. That's how you pull them in. Part of communication, the, actually, the largest part of communication is listening. And also being vulnerable yourself. People can relate to you and will start to hear what you have to say. And I remember learning that as a trainer where I stopped feeling like I had to be the guy that had all the answers. I stopped feeling like I had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Once I started opening up and being vulnerable and sharing my own insecurities and weaknesses, I was way more effective as a trainer. And so that I'm like, oh yeah, that I learned that too. Well, it's just like becoming a trainer. Because it, really what you're doing for what you do for 10,000 hours as a trainer, what we're talking about, isn't training people for 10,000 hours. Majority of what you do is conversations yeah. with your clients. The knowledge of how to train people, I mean, that you, you do develop that as well. There's an intu- intuition around that, but it's how you communicate to them and how you listen to them. That's what really develops all right, all right. You know, over time. So, no, I, I think it's important to bring yourself down. Uh, like When you're getting ready to tell somebody really rough news or tell them they're doing a bad job or something like that, one of the easiest ways to get them to open their ears and not build up a wall is to explain to them that you've cha- you've been challenged in an area the same way. It's the same thing with leadership, right? Like when I'm about to deliver hard news to somebody on the staff or have a challenging conversation, I acknowledge the difficulty of what I'm about to just challenge them on. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes with a client. Like before you do that with a client and you tell them like they're eating all these bad foods and they're not making good choices with their exercise and before you just drop that hammer and you like point the finger you go like oh man i know how hard it is to do this and i know i and and normally one of the best ways to do that is to share a story about yourself where you've fucked up or you've had a hard time so they you can feel like you can connect and relate to that so then when you deliver that message they're a lot more receptive to it. So yeah, that, otherwise they're going to build a wall right, right away. And, and that's just the art of communication. So I think, and it's something too that I see wrong in our space, and I think we all do, is you know this. A lot of people in the fitness community put themselves up on this pedestal, right, where they they get ripped and shredded, and it's all the motivational angle, and it's them preaching like you should do this, you should do that. Where the angle that we came from was here's all the mistakes that we made over the last 15 years. Like I did a lot of things the wrong way. No, I'm here just how you can avoid them. And I just want to share with you my experience and what I've learned from that. Take with it as you want. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that approach and just communication period. And is- the irony of it is in 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 our space, people who are in the fitness space, they they have some of the the biggest personal problems. Most of them have terrible uh, body image issues, terrible insecurities. This is what motivated them to be so driven to achieve their ideal of perfection. And it's the it, it, it can definitely be, to me, a little bit annoying when I see people projecting this false image when I know, I know what it takes to look and be that way. And a lot of it was driven initially, and maybe not, not at the moment, but initially was, man, I really hate myself and I'm going to try to become this perfect person. And I wish I could just sit down and talk with them and be like, look, man, if you're just honest and real, you'll be way more effective at what you're trying to communicate. People will listen to you 
far better. Problem is, and, many of them are still lying to themselves, so they don't. They think that you're they're right. being real. They're so still the, in it. So I have empathy. Like I have empathy because I see it and I go like. I remember when I was in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you just you don't know you're in it, right? You 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 are justified in your head, like oh I look this way for this, and they're just silly. They don't have the work ethic, or they don't have this, or, like so. You start making these reasons up in your head. Dude, I was so convinced for a long time. Like, no, people just don't have the fucking work ethic. They're just lazy. They're just, and it's, you know, is that a part of it? Uh, I mean, you could you could say it in a, in, a, in a kind of rough, brutal way, sure. But it's way more complex than that. Way more difficult than that. I, again, I learned this a, a long time ago with one of my clients who, it was this gentleman who was just extremely successful in business. And I asked him, like, how do you do it? And he's like, Sal, he goes, just follow these steps. If you follow these steps, it'll work. And I remember thinking, like, he thinks it's so easy, but it's not. It's not that easy. And I remember thinking, this same guy who wants to lose 50 pounds, who's struggled with his weight his whole life, I think it's so easy to get lean. He sees how it's difficult. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. He's just, in one area, he's found, he's, he understands how simple it is in one area. I understand in another area. But really, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's climbing Mount Everest. It's one step after another no matter what you're trying to accomplish. And it's difficult. It's fucking hard. So when I look at somebody who's having a struggle, rather than being like, you know, you're lazy, how many areas of my life that I struggle with, that I still struggle with? I bet you it's just as easy for other people to succeed in those areas that I struggle with. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's when you start to become, you know, more effective. Anyway. Speaking of our space, uh, I I saw you stir in the pot with your post oh, last man, night. Oh, man, you're going to bring that up? <laughs> I am uh, going to bring it up. Because, stop, dude. Because I thought that was great, dude. Well, I thought it was well written, man. It was, it was, yeah, it uh, was. I love when you get, uh, you know, a little fire up your ass and decide you're going to going to write something like that because, uh, you know, it's been the message in our space for a long time. And I love that it's not coming from judgment. Like, it's not you, no. you're not judging others for their, their decision to you know, have multiple partners and everything like that. I don't think any of us are, you know, anti someone doing that. But I also think that there needs to be a voice on the other side of someone making reason for why it may not be the best for a lot of people that are following a lot of these people that are putting that message out. No, right? I think... Um, it just needs to be balanced out. Yep. Yeah, modern modern life is 100% going to... The, to be healthy and have uh, meaning and purpose in life and to be fulfilled in modern life... Is going to be all about structure and abstinence, only because we're uh, we are afforded every single see the funny thing, thing that we could ever. When want. you say that, I actually don't think modern life. I think life has always been this way. I think it's just different stuff, I, and I think it's at a faster pace. It's we have this ability to connect right away and see so much more than before. But yeah, I think you're it's right. Always been that. No, you're right. I 100 mm -hmm. see uh, understand. The reason why I communicate it that way, Adam, is is because I think it resonates with people. Because yeah. I can use a few examples like. You know, 5,000 years ago, you you ate healthy and you weren't obese because you kind of had no choice. Right. What, what you killed is what you ate and what you could grow, what you found that was growing is what you ate. Well, didn't they? they and used, so you just, you didn't have obese people because it wasn't an option. Was it, wasn't like uh, obesity like connected to like uh, wealth? wealth yeah. yeah. Like yeah, you were, if you, if you had the ability to get fat, you must have been rich. Right. It was almost like getting a, all the chicks. Yeah. No, it was, you were like, that was like a big deal. Well, I think people are starting to discover this understanding because they're being given everything that they think that they want. You know, it's no different than a child. Imagine giving a kid everything that they fucking wanted. You know, there's a reason why they call it spoiled. Um, it it's not a good way uh, to be. So, there's a lot. Here's a good example. Okay, there are a lot of young men today 
who are talking about pornography far differently than we did when we were kids. There's a lot of men today who are saying things like, oh, I don't, I don't look at pornography or I limit my use or I restrict my use or I go through a week of fasting off pornography. Now, why are they saying this? These are young men that are saying this because they're, they now have access to so much variety of pornography and things that when we were kids- yeah, Instant access. When, when I was a kid, pornography was limited. It just, just was. It was very difficult to come by. Yeah. And I always make this joke, but it's, I'm not even exaggerating. At 13 years old, I literally could have gotten some kid's bike for a dirty magazine. Not even joking. A kid would have given me his fucking bike. Of course. For one, that's how difficult it was to come by. But today, because it's so accessible, now kids are starting to see the really glaring uh, negative consequences of having all this crazy amount of variety of visual stimulation. And they're having erectile dysfunction. They're having problems with their relationships. And so they themselves are making structure. They themselves are saying, okay, I need to create some practices because this is just not working for me. And modern life means you have access to insane amounts of food, variety of food, cheap food, hyper-palatable food, any taste, any flavored. I mean, food is like, like pornography. It's just... It's everywhere whenever you want. I could walk out the studio right now. I could have Chinese food, Indian food. I could have crackers, cookies, chips, sugar, fat, salt. I can do whatever I want. So I have to develop structure and practices around that because I, in the past, I didn't necessarily have to do that. Again, 5,000 years ago, nobody was thinking to themselves, I got to watch my calories and my macros. It was just fucking, it's just how you naturally were. Same thing with activity. Today, you have to schedule activity in your life because life we've done such a good job of eliminating the back breaking strain of grueling natural life i mean if you go back you know hundreds of years ago people's backs and knees and hips hurt because they were moving too much yeah it was too much strain so much laborious like uh, activity involved with everything yeah today as a personal trainer i can say with full confidence that 90% of my clients' back, knee, hip, neck pain is not from strain and labor. It's from inactivity, mm-hmm. the total opposite. Our bodies are withering away with things like osteoporosis. You have uh, you know, uh, muscle loss and even obese people. They used to think that obese people had would have more muscle because of the weight, and they're finding that they're actually suffering from uh, you know, muscle loss as well. So we have to develop structure and practices around activity just to keep ourselves healthy. Well, we are also in a time now where we have many methods that are effective at preventing pregnancy. We have methods of preventing uh, you know, sexually transmitted diseases. We have a- easy access to each other through communicating through apps. It's very easy to find people who just want to have sex nowadays, even if you're a man. Like for a woman, I think that was always kind of easy because guys are usually, you know, we're far less selective. But for a guy... To find women who just want to have sex in the past was kind of difficult. You'd have to go to special areas or whatever, and you know, prostitution existed, you know, for, for stuff like that. But nowadays, you go on an app, and people are like totally open and eager. Nothing wrong with that. It's all voluntary. Nobody's hurting each other. But I think what people are going to find is that that itself can also cause lots of problems, and it takes away from, you know, the the traditional building, you know, relationship building, um, long term meaningful type relationships and also the devotion and the 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 what's the word uh, the difficulty but also the growth that comes from being like you know what Commitment. Let's just, yeah, yeah you know 
So that's all. That's all my post was about. And there's a couple of people got mad. And like, I'm like, look, this is not a moral or immoral no. thing. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think it's well, it's just so new. I think that yeah. a lot of people haven't even wrapped their brains around that fact that it everything is that accessible. And you know, we should actually start thinking now about like putting you know boundaries and structure around it, so that way you know we live our most uh, optimal, thriving life. And and that's really like what it's about. Like regardless of like your moral standpoint on all those things like as a human being you have to be concerned about uh you know getting sucked into whatever like indulgences are immediately available to you yeah it, it, to me it's i always look at a great example i've used this many times as celebrities you have people celebrities are have incredible and they've always had right ever since the celebrity existed incredible access to everything access to drugs access to sex like crazy I mean, if you're a rock star or a hot, you know, famous model, like sex was always super available, you know, food, money, whatever they want. And yet the depression and, and drug abuse and suicide rate among celebrities is, is insane. And so you think to yourself, here are people who have everything that I think that is so that I want money and, and, and good looking people. And, and yet these people are, are miserable. And then you go and you talk to these, you know, people who seem to be just, uh, you know, happy, but not in the ecstatic way, but kind of happy and fulfilled in life. Your everyday regular moms and dads, or even your spiritual leaders who seem to be at peace with things. And you look how they live and you're like, wait a minute, these people, you know, they don't seem to, to, to value all these other things that we think that are super important and, and they're doing much better. And I'm saying you don't need to become a monk. I'm just saying that it gives you a lot of answers in mm. that case. What do you think, you know, you attracted some of these people too, and I, for some reason, this still triggers me, and I was trying to unpack that for myself. Like, why does that annoy me so fucking much that I want to get on your post and fire at people? <laughs> and it's this notion that, uh, you know, it's not smart or it's not good for us to label foods good or bad. Oh, that part? Yeah, you get you get people that start to defend that, that statement so much that it, it bothers the fuck out of me. It bothers me that we we can't and i understand so i get right where it's coming from it's like oh it's not it's not smart for us to demonize food and then you get these people that get into these camps and they they turn in like oh my god sugar will kill you and like no 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 no, no. i'm not trying to be like that at all but why is it not okay for us just to accept that there are because is it yeah. is a better why way can't for, you categorize it and put a hierarchy behind right. it is like, it what's is, wrong with that? is it is it not okay so okay we can't say good or bad food so then can i say there's good food and then there's much better food for us right like better options better ideas towards food like i was joking out there in terms of like water nobody questions that there's bad water you know <laughs> like it's gonna give me dysentery like things are gonna happen as a result of me consuming this right why wouldn't it be the same you know maybe it's on a lesser level like maybe it's long term like these chronic illness yeah. issues but you know we don't want to look that far into the future we want to know well uh you know if as long as it's not like giving me cancer like tomorrow you know it's, it's fine not, yeah it's not bad yeah I, I i you can't i mean look f food obviously isn't it, it's in, in, from a moral standpoint it's not doing anything it's like a, a it's making choices to do bad things right. i get that yeah but there's food that's good for you or better for you and food that's not so good for you and i think what happens is people they it, when you when you start to to label things as these are better these are worse and then you make the choice to do the worst thing and you're aware of it, you don't want to feel 
You don't want to feel that. You don't want to say to yourself like, ooh, I made a bad choice. Right. So instead of feeling that, which is responsibility, I hate right. to say it, it's like taking responsibility. <laughs> instead of saying that, you just, oh, no, 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 no. Lord it's all us. good. Right. Everything's good. That's you know, that moral relativism where, no, it's all good as long as everything's, that, no, no, some things are better for you and some things are not. And that's all, there's, there's, by the way, listen, taking responsibility as hard as it feels is empowering. It's not the opposite. Right. It's very empowering. It's empowering for me to be like, oh, I'm going to eat some pizza. N- not that good for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why? Because I own I own the consequences. I own my decision rather right. than being like, nah, it's all good. Right. Everything's fine. We'll see where that lands you. Yeah. Look, a- a- every single day you make decisions, okay? And your decisions are based off of something being better than something else. So for people who say yeah. it's nothing's bad and nothing's good, that's not correct. You are lying to yourself because today you chose food, and the reason why you chose food over other food not eating is bad. It's because you decided <laughs> you decided that that food was better than another option. Right. So you yourself are making those decisions all the time. Now we're in the you know fitness and health space. We're just telling you some things are healthier for you than others, and some foods are just not healthy. Does that mean you shouldn't you should never eat them? No. Sometimes you eat food for the taste. Sometimes I enjoy food because it tastes good, and I know it's bad for me, and that's why I do. So I do things all the time that are bad for me. Because I'm enjoying the experience. Like, I'll drink alcohol sometimes. Well, it's just, not it, good for me. It's a spectrum like anything else. And, you know, why can we label foods as superfoods? We can't say, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We have superfoods. Nobody yeah. would argue that. You know, avocado is yeah. a superfood. Okay, well, we wouldn't argue. It's or not deb- super for somebody with an intolerance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not very super. But, and your water, your water analogy is perfect, Justin, because it's like, if you drank some water that the next day you had diarrhea all day long, nobody would argue you had bad water. Yeah. yeah. No, right? it would, no, it would be like, well, Justin, it, no water is bad. I well, we saw you drink that water. Right. It's like, so why is that different when we talk about foods? Because if you ate a, a certain types of foods and that's all you ate all the time, what would could potentially happen from that? Mm-hmm. Obesity, possible shit that you get autoimmune also issues. Also, the motivation behind why you continue to feed yourself in a way that is making you ill. Like, right. why are you still doing this? Right. And people don't want to, they don't want to um, acknowledge that. And a lot of people don't. They don't want to acknowledge that they're doing that because you see people who are obviously ill, whether it's like severe obesity or diabetes or other issues, and they'll say things like, "I love my body. I don't care. I just want to, you know, do whatever I want." Or this is this is about body acceptance and body love. And it's like, okay, well, there, there's there's two things here. One is, first off, you shouldn't hate yourself. That's very different. But number two, if you're really caring about yourself, you're not doing things that are hurting you. You're not doing those things that are making you ill. Somebody who really cares about themselves takes care of themselves. I can tell if somebody cares about their car. It's not hard for me to make that judgment oftentimes. If you're driving a car and it's full of garbage, you never wash it, the, the, you know, it's missing you know, two of the rims, um, that you, you haven't changed the oil, it's about, oh, you got four red lights on in your car, I think I can say, or most people can see, you don't really care about your car. You're right. not taking care of it. And so that's that's the same thing. So it's okay to say that some foods are not good and other foods are better. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't don't and and, and if it makes you hate yourself even more, that's not the direction we want to go. The direction is start to care about yourself. Start to care about these things. Look at foods in that way in certain ways and understand food offers you more things than just its nourishment. Like I said, sometimes the benefit you get from food is just the enjoyment of the food itself and it's not the the nourishment. You don't have to be an orthorexic. Of course. I think that I think it stems from the same reason why I probably and maybe this is why it triggers me because uh, I was in that probably in that camp for a really long time. Mm. 
So if I if I go deep enough on why does it bother me and I get irritated with people that think this way, it's probably because I thought that way for a really long time. And and what I did was I drew my health based off of how I carried myself and how I looked. So if I'm lean, or- right? I had low body fat percentage. I had abs. I had muscles. I could play basketball. I could run. I could jump. I was what all these things, right? All these things that we would consider markers of health. I was I was good, very good at mm-hmm. right. And so, and yet I was eating ice cream almost every single night. So I guess in my head, I could see that uh, if you were to talk to that, that 25 year old, you know, version of me and say, well, I don't, why do you keep eating that bad food? I would probably get defensive and say the same thing and say, this isn't bad food. I don't, do I look fat to you or do I look like I have any issues? Do I have anything going on with me? So I think that's where my issue comes from of why it irritates me when I see it. Because I think those people are still going blindly through. Like you just, you're still unconscious about uh, the decisions that you're making to the point where you're defending it so hard that you think it's bad for us to say good food or bad food. Yeah, you know what's funny is if 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 I could snap my fingers and every, all of a sudden everybody um, was uh, you know really cared about themselves, everybody's emotional issues were processed people weren't depressed or anxious and people felt fulfilled in their lives. Would people still eat some of these foods? Yeah, you'd still get them. People would still eat them here and there, but I think the consumption would drop considerably. I think a lot of the motivation behind why we eat some of these things isn't simply because I'm enjoying it for the sake of enjoying it. I think a lot of it has to do with, and we know this as personal trainers, I'm doing it to deal with my stress, my boredom, my anxiety. I'm doing this to forget about other problems. I'm using this as a drug. I'm doing this because of the the context of the environment that I'm in, whatever. Um, I think if you solved some of those things, you would just see the consumption start to drop. And I do get the idea of like demonizing and how that can actually drive people in the opposite direction. Like if you have somebody who feels really shitty about themselves. Or a child. And that's right. And that's motivating them to eat terribly. And you tell them you're doing something terrible and they feel worse about themselves. They'll probably do it even more. Right. Or you're talking to a five-year-old. You don't want to say, that's bad. You know, that's bad food. No, you're not trying to teach them that. So I get there's certain places where you can use. But when you're you're on the platform we are, okay, there's no five-year-olds listening to this podcast. There shouldn't be. There's no five-year-olds that's taking the time to (laughs) read Sal's long-ass Instagram post. These are all fucking adults we're talking to right now. And Mm. so when I hear adults argue back with other adults that there's not good food and bad food. It's like, get the fuck out of here with that. Yeah. However you want to spin it and twist it to make yourself feel better, whatever. But at the end of the day, there are foods that are a lot more optimal for our body that serves us really well. And then there's foods that absolutely don't serve us at all. On the physical health point, sure, Sure. may serve you in a way of, hey, I'm at a birthday with my son and I want to celebrate and have a good time. Okay, understand that. But that's not who we're speaking to. We're speaking to people that are Heading in the direction of, like you said, mask using it to mask something else, mm-hmm. or addicted to, it. or like in my case, you know, I the the way that the ice cream is little, it was a, a high, it's like a coke addict. That's how I feel about it. Like it's, I still feel that way about it, and I still play around and test it all the time. It's like, oh, it's been six months since I've enjoyed an ice cream. Let's see what happens when I do that. I'm so I'm very aware of like. You know, going six months without ever having it to then introducing it and then going like, holy shit, now I want it mm-hmm. every single night. Yep. It's like, well, it's, it's, it's way back. Fuck, in. it's crazy, yeah. dude. Yeah, and, it you know, so, okay, so it's not bad food, but there's something about that that's not ideal for no, me, right? And it's, a, it's look, at, at the end of the day, here's the deal. It's, it, it's a hard, long process. And where you're at is where you're at. 
Um, so at the end of the day, I want people to understand that this is not like judgment. We're not sitting here being like, you're bad and you're wrong and, and all that stuff. No, at the, at the end, it's, it's a long, it's a long, hard process. We've just, we've just worked with a lot of people and ourselves and we understand what that looks like and we know what works. Mm. And what works is you have to take, you have to empower yourself. And part of empowering yourself is taking the responsibility of your choices and knowing that some choices that you make are not good for you. And some choices that you make are good for you. You got to start there. Once you do that, I mean, look, here's the deal. At the end of the day, you know, look at your life and there are consequences that are the result of uncontrollable factors. And there are a lot of consequences that are a result of the controllable factors. Focus on the controllables because right. you can't control, you can't control the other ones anyway. Focus on the controllables and the controllables involve you, your decisions, your attitudes, your actions, and some of the decisions and shit you, that you've made. Probably not the best ones. That's all I'm saying. And you can look at them and be like, okay, where do I go from here? And But you have yeah. to accept that responsibility. Don't feel bad because we're all in the same fucking look. Just I'm in the same boat. Acknowledge it. Yeah. yeah. Acknowledge it. Take responsibility that every day you're going to make decisions. That's it. Like if you can just understand that and, and know that food is a part of that process because you're the one that's putting it in your mouth. I mean, unless somebody's force feeding you, but yeah, that's, and there's, there's ways that's going to benefit you and there's ways it's not. Dude, I know, look, I know how hard this is. I started working out and I started nutrition because I was painfully insecure about my body and I treated my body terribly. I learned a lot about fitness, but I also treated myself terribly for a long time until my body rebelled. And it, it required me to take a step back, look in the mirror and be like, okay, what did I do to cause this? Did I do some decisions that were wrong for myself? And that was a tough, tough uh, process. That was a very difficult process. It took me a year to come out of that. I went through a divorce. This is after 15 years of marriage with two children. Do you know how easy it would have been to end that and then be like, none of it was my fault. It was all her fault. It was all whatever. It was all these other circumstances. No, man. I had to go and be like, all right, what was I responsible for? And that took me fucking years. It took me two years after to process all that, very difficult to take that responsibility because I have to, you know, I have to also say to myself, all right, a large part of that was my fault. But you know what? That's where you grow. That's how you stop doing that kind of stuff. And it feels empowering. I, I know now, okay, mm. I can choose. I know the kind of person I can be, and I can choose to not be that person anymore. That's fucking power right there. Yeah. Yeah. Maps Anabolic. If you're looking to maximize your overall muscle and strength, Maps Anabolic is the perfect place to start. With a full 30-day money-back guarantee, there is absolutely zero risk. So what are you waiting for? Go to mindpromedia.com and get started today. It's the motherfucking quad. The eagle has landed. Quiqua. All right, our first question is from Minnie Fig. Chocolate milk is said to be the go-to drink after a workout. Do you believe that's true? Wouldn't all the added sugar offset any health benefits it has? Or is it an acceptable blend of protein and carbs? Did you guys know that um, Built with Chocolate Milk, the campaign that's going on, they've they've signed some NBA teams. I know Clay Thompson. Yeah, I've seen a big push for that. Huge push. Uh, you know they came after us, right? Yeah, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, they came after us about a year and a half, almost two years ago, before they had launched. Um and I remember what, the hardest thing for us was uh, selling the idea, right. you know. There, and here's the thing: why we even we even thought about it because 
there is some truth to this, right? There's some like there's protein inside inside the the milk. The the amount of sugar right after a, a workout isn't as detri- isn't as detrimental as you would think it would be. So you know, is it and and also when you talk about the people that promote things like branch chain amino acids for recovery and stuff like that, you get a lot of these benefits inside of milk. So it was an interesting campaign that they were running. I would I would imagine if I were to go dig deep into the money and see where it's rooted from, I would say yeah. it's probably well. There was a the dairy, dairy the dairy yeah, industry is well, probably pushing the message. Of course. 100%. So milk itself, there's always controversy around milk, and is it good for you? Is it bad? For a long time, we were told milk is super good for you. You know, you need it for calcium. Then we were told milk is bad for you. Here's the thing: uh, high quality milk, organic in particular. Uh, raw, um, unpa- uh, non-homogenized milk. There's lots of studies done on them, and you know the Weston A. Price uh, Foundation talks a lot about this. If you can tolerate milk, so if you can tolerate dairy, dairy has a definitely has a place in uh, a healthy diet. Um, and some societies consume a tremendous amount of of dairy. There's some Nordic countries, uh, the, the Northern European countries. You have some tribes in Africa that consume most of their calories from milk and beef and beef blood. This is how Justin tries to justify his. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he says he's African. The, the, if right. you if you can if you can tolerate if you can tolerate dairy, there's a lot of healthy uh, properties uh, coming from dairy, and of course, it can be consumed in a way that's that's bad for you. Now, here's where this whole chocolate milk or milk post workout thing came from. They did a study where they compared a popular post workout shake. Like your 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 typical protein. I posted this study. Carb shake, yeah. Like five, almost four or five years ago. Yeah, and they compared it to just drinking chocolate milk post workout. Yeah. And what did they find? Both of them replenished glycogen at the same speed. Both mm-hmm. of them stimulated, you know, helped with protein synthesis. Similar so, amount of protein. Yeah. Based on what they could test, or what they were testing, there was no difference between the two, and it was a big joke. Like, oh, you're spending all this money on on all these you know supplements when you could just drink chocolate milk, a, a glass of milk. And there's definitely, you know, like I said, there's some there's some, some truth, truth to it. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, but, they're, but is chocolate milk good for you? Uh, I mean, no, not really. I think it's, the cool argument. Chocolate. I think the cooler that? argument is it's <laughs> it's it's not it's not necessarily the most ideal thing after a workout, but it's not that far off from the fucking. The, it just highlights <laughs> yeah. what, what those think, protein drinks really are. That's, for me, you that's know, that's like, what I get out of. That's it. not a healthy drink, right? So that's what I think you is know? cool about the study. Well, where do they where do they get? That's why I shared it. What do they get from? Um, where do protein powders get their protein from? Yeah, milk. Milk. Yeah, I mean, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. And then when they throw carbs in, what kind of carbs do they say are that they put in for post workout? Yeah. yeah. Sugar. Sugar, yeah. fast acting sugar. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's silly. And that's that's the that's the silliness of it. Well, we've talked about the the importance or really not the importance of having something right after your workout. Sure as hell ain't beating some, you know, chicken chicken thighs and, and freaking rice. You know? Just have real and food. Some greens. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I was when I was a kid, I went on a mass building well, I was always trying to gain size, right? But I went through this period where I, where I had just had this epiphany, like, oh my god, whole milk is just high in calories and protein. Yeah. Why don't I just drink a gallon of just that every gallons day? Every yeah. Every so, other day. So I would buy. I would go. I would ride my bike to the grocery store. <laughs> this may have something to do with your yeah, intolerance. Maybe this may have something oh, to do yeah. with your intolerance. Oh, let me finish the story. I know. I know where it's going. I got on my bike, and I used to eat, I used to have milk. It wasn't a problem, you know. When I'd have cereal or stuff, but it wasn't like I didn't pound it right. So then I realized this. I'm 15 years old, and I have a job at this time. So I get on my bike, and I ride to the grocery store, and I would buy uh, 
gallons of full fat whole milk because I was at highest in calories. And what I would do is in the morning before school, I would drink half a gallon. It was a half a gallon straight to the dome. That's crazy. Before school. That's so much. And then the rest of the milk I would have when I get home from school. So I was drinking a gallon of milk. You know how many calories in a gallon of milk? (laughs) A lot. It's insane. Yeah, I don't remember the number. But How many glasses was that? I drank it out of the carton. Oh, you just drank out of the carton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would would get the plastic jug. Went beast mode. Yeah, and I would just chug it, right? Yeah. So I did this for, I don't know, a few months. And I did. I gained weight, of course. Because I've consumed thousands of calories worth of milk or whatever. Right. And then- it started to fuck me up. Then I would drink it and I'd go to school and I'd start farting and uh, <laughs> 20, 2,380 calories. No, that's yeah. that's non-fat, Doug. Oh, no, that's full fat. Yeah, 2,380. So I was, you know, obviously, you, wow. I increased my calories by 2,000 or whatever. So then I'd be at school. My stomach would be making noises. I'd be farting and stuff. And then, I've, then it turned into like I had to have like a midday shit at school, which nobody wants to take a shit at school. Oh, yeah. I mean, I used to walk home from no, that. That's the worst. Yeah, we're not doing that. So then I was like, what's going on? So then I had a friend who's like, oh, I told my friend, I'm like, dude, I can't have, like, milk's making me have the shits. And he goes, oh, you, have you seen that new milk? This one that just first came out. They have that new lactate milk. It's for people who can't have milk. It's like, what? So then I bought a gallon of lactate milk. <laughs> and then I could have milk again. I was oh, like, this is cool. Yeah. So then I drank a gallon of that every day. That lasted for a few months. And then my body said, fuck you. And then all milk. <laughs> Went bad, and that was it. I was screwed. I was screwed after that. Could no longer have uh, have any dairy because of that. You I, went too hard, bro. I, I definitely killed myself with that. But yeah, no dairy's dairy can totally be healthy. It can be a healthy part of a diet. Uh, eat it if you're gonna have dairy. Do not go non-fat. Um, they're finding that the the fat in the milk helps with the absorption of some of the nutrients. Um, in fact, if you feed animals non-fat milk, they tend to have issues. Pasteurization kind of destroys some of the enzymes in milk. So I'm not saying go get just some raw, unpasteurized milk from anywhere, but you want it from really good quality sources. And in raw milk from good quality cows, perfectly fine. Did you know that uh, past, uh, un- non-pasteurized raw milk from really nice sources, if you put it out and you leave it out, it doesn't go sour? Mm. It just turns into a cream. Uh, yeah, turns yeah. into cream. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you get the pasteurized stuff and you leave it out, it goes bad. That's because the 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 raw milk has got beneficial bacteria that balance out any particular you know uh, negatives. So what negative is bacteria. it? I mean, in terms of I, I read something about. And of course, this is about cheese. Um, <laughs> but I just picture him opening the centerfold. I, you know, I just picture. Yeah, I like, Ooh, what, what kind of benefits do you have there, girl? Havarti. Um, yeah. Oh no, just the, Febu- February. Yeah, yeah February's got all these all these like benefits, like way more easier on the stomach uh, for some jack. people to to digest. Like so, there's certain. Uh, like as it goes through that process, like I don't know if like the kind of bacteria that uh, that cultures with it um, that allows more people, because like lactose was the big issue, right, for most people with like an intolerance. Sure. But for some reason, like cheese was like different. Yeah, well, you, you also lose some of the digestive enzymes through that process too. Well, well, so raw milk has some lactase in it. Lactase is the enzyme that breaks down lactose. When you pasteurize it, it it makes it less tolerable for a lot of people. So some people who have a mild intolerance to milk can actually drink raw uh, milk and not have an issue. Um, as far as cheese is concerned, I have an issue with dairy proteins and lactose, but some cheeses are so low in dairy proteins because they're all mostly fat, yeah, and they don't have a lot of lactose in them that I could have some. Um, like butter, I don't have a problem with butter. Mm-hmm. I can have butter all day long, and butter's you know that's milk fat. Ghee, definitely not an issue. I can eat gallons of ghee. No, so it's so higher on the fat content than the. 
lactose. Yeah, it's the milk proteins and the lactose that people tend to have mm. uh, an issue for. It's funny, they identified a gene in Northern Europeans that allows them to continue to digest dairy even until old age. Because children, human children, usually can produce the lactase enzyme. That's why they can have breast milk because bre- breast milk contains some lactose in it. Mm. Um, and some babies are lactose intolerant, but most Wait. of us can have breast milk. I know. Okay, hold on. Remember like what we just read that like a new trend in bodybuilding was to drink like breast milk? Oh, yeah. Oh, about this? yeah remember what? that? You didn't bring that up on the show. Yeah, we you? never talked about that. Yeah. Like is, is this like verified in I didn't even actually look it up. Okay, Yeah, who found it? You or Sal? I was like, this has to be some troll like account or something. Yeah, is this dude? some bullshit sliding Bro, in your DM? think about po- it. Post or someone I mean, actually I, like- I wouldn't put it past them though. That's the thing. It's like- Dude, I could sell- Imagine if you were just an unscrupulous- Person, how easy could you sell breast milk to bodybuilders? You could, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. And here's what human I would do. to human, way better animal to human. Here's Duh. what. Oh, here's how I would sell it. hundred percent. Here's the sales pitch. Ready? The average baby gains fifty percent more body weight. <laughs> <in the> first- <laughs> New supplement, colostrum. Uh, the- bro, before you even finish that pitch, I know you're. Tell going. me that's not gonna. Uh, fuck- <laughs> the most growth you'll ever go through in your entire life. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, the human. Oh yeah, my god, the human body pr- produces the perfect food for this accelerated. It's like growth. going back in utero. <laughs> if you're trying yeah. to maximize your growth, why not drink the thing that was designed for maximum growth? Oh my god, yeah, it's brilliant. Drink, yeah, milk you're, made from God. Yeah, mom's milk. Drink milk made from God <laughs> for growth. It's good for your brain, your bones, and especially your muscles. Uh, yeah. oh, anyway, okay. oh, can we yeah. do that, Doug? Can we do that? I would uh, love to do that. Have, have, yeah. Have, like, pump, yeah. Where do you harvest it? Pump milk. <laughs> just, <laughs> just pump milk. But taste it. This good, good batch. Some people will get it. Next question is from Robin Holdaway. Are stimulant-free pre-workouts worth taking? If so, what brands? Stimulant-free sell stimulant-free sell pre-workouts. Sell me on this because I say no. They don't sell that many, do they? Most pre-workouts, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's that's a hard sell. Yeah. Well, I, mean. and I, I think. I, I, I think when you're, it's interesting. There's a market that's growing for this right now. Sure, and it's it's to counter, you know, the 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 bad pub that stimulants have gotten and the overuse of stimulants. And so this is just how the market works. It's like we swing one way hard, that opens up the market on the other side for someone to do a counter product. The reality of it is like the goal should be to not have anything. Mm-hmm. Like you really don't need anything going into a workout. I mean, if you've maybe a meal, if you're going to have well, a real and, long hard and, workout, and even then, that should have been done two hours before, right? Because you're you're not just so you know you're getting ready to go do a long hard workout and you eat right before you go do that. You're not getting to use that. That mm-hmm. isn't. It takes two hours on average to convert that over to use it as fuel. So the idea that we need to take anything for the workout is just absurd. Now, does that mean that I don't use stimulants sometimes? Fucking A, I do. Sometimes I'm like, I, I'm not, we talked about this the other day about the 6 a.m. workout thing. I did one the other day and you bet your ass I'm, I'm drinking a, a, ca- a caffeine drink on the way over to the pool because I'm still wiping the crust out of my eyes. I am not motivated to go push my body at all. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm using that. Now, I also am aware, so the other day I was going, I went, this is just on Sunday. I was going to work out and it was Sunday and it was midday and I I went to reach to get a, a pre-workout at my cupboard that I have in there and I was like, I literally looked and go, it's middle of the day, I'm not tired right now and I put it right back in. So it's, I, I don't want to get in the habit of doing it just to do it. So I think I'm aware of that, but at the same time too, if you're using 
pre-workouts to get some oomph in your workout to do it non-stimulant is kind of like yeah well i don't see the you know why that's strange to me you know why that's happening right it's good you just said it's a counter they did such a good job selling us on the ritual of drinking something before we work out yeah yeah. they did such a good job that is now considered part of the routine of working out Uh. so the routine of working out used to be you go to the gym and you work out. Then supplement companies did a good job and sold us so hard on the fact that you drink a protein shake post-workout that that became the routine. Like, oh, you're going to go work out? You have to have a shake afterwards. It became part of the routine for everybody. I mean, I, I was told as a trainer working in a, in a big box gym, that's what you need to have your clients do. And I, I bought into it. Then it became part of the ritual that you drink something before you work out. So now you have all these people who are like, well, I got to have a pre-workout, but I don't want stimulants because caffeine makes me feel shitty or I'm not supposed to have caffeine because I'm, I'm anxious or whatever. So what do I do? So supplement companies are like, here you go. Here's something without any stimulants, but it's got the citrulline that's supposed to give you a better pump. It's got the beta mm. alanine, which helps with some stamina and endurance. Now, it is true that like beta alanine, for example, may improve your ability to perform a little bit higher during your workout. And so I don't see a problem in taking something like beta alanine uh, before you work out, but I'm gonna tell you something right now. If you're not hitting, firing at all cylinders, it ain't gonna make a difference. Like beta alanine and pre workouts and all that stuff, that should be sell. That should be saved for the person who's dialed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if I give it to the, like if I took an average person who's, let's say, I'm a, someone hires me to train them and they don't have any idea about nutrition, they're, they're they haven't even worked out, or maybe they worked out in the past. Am I gonna waste any time saying, hey, take some? You know, pre-workout, but no, why? It's not going to yeah. do anything for them. It's it's silly to me. It, I I mean, it, it immediately I think of the guy that like it, you know orders a near beer at the bar and is like trying to hang out with his buddies and have a good time. <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? You know, <laughs> just sit this one out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Having his own duels. Yeah, 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 he's got his own duels. You know, oh, I got my pre-workout with no stimulants. <laughs> cool story, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out of here. No, it's not going to make. It's not going to help with muscle building. It's not going to help. You might get a little bit of a performance increase that we can measure in a test with high-performing athletes for something like beta alanine. Um, you know, that that's would be the, the thing. That's the big one. Yeah, that's the big you one. You can that buy every, that cheap. That's what everybody pushes, though. Yeah, you could buy that cheap. And let me tell you something: a lot of you won't like beta alanine. If you've never taken it before and you take it. It's going to feel like you have little cre- Ting- creepy crawlers, tingle, crawlies tingle, all over tingly on you. It makes yep. my fingers feel all weird. Yep, and stuff. yep, yep, absolutely. But that's, now, again, and to me, that's the real magic of even that. Mm-hmm. People feel that, and because we feel something, we're like, oh, shit. Yeah, if you that's why, feel something. That's why pre-workouts were such an easy sell, because and, that, they could they could hand out supplement uh, samples at the convention. You take it once, and you feel it. So beta, uh, caffeine, niacin, or the, the triple threat. Of pre-workout stuff. Oh my God, nice! It Those three red. things are the three. The out of all the things that they put in there, are but you can notice what you feel. Niacin will literally make somebody just sitting still sweat. That's how it's, it's designed. Makes your skin turn red. You yeah, ever you, take it before? Yeah, it heats you up. It, it, oh, yeah. So it will make you sweat just from taking. So you could just take niacin by itself. And the people that feel, because I I know you you what you notice. Okay, so I, I've paid attention to this many times. When I take a supplement that has niacin in it. You know, let's say my workouts are very, very consistent. I can get into a workout and it takes probably five to seven sets before that first bead of sweat. And I have a spot on my, I mean, that's how fucking consistent I've been. I know right where the bead of sweat starts on my on my head. There's a bead that runs right down the left side of my forehead. And then from then on, the sweat comes on. Like mm-hmm. that's in my lower back. It's weird. 
The, the cheeks, yeah, the anchor, right, right down to the crack. anchor. Yeah. It, it goes down. It's the, drawn in. It but falls into the crevasse. When I <laughs> when I take a supplement that has niacin in it, shit. Before I'm even done with my third set, that sweat's already happening. Dude, have That's, you ever taken a high dose of niacin? Yeah, bro. So I knew about this, and I, I knew niacin caused this flushing. Like being in a fucking sauna, well, you, my, uh, bro. I look like I had a sunburn. My skin, <laughs> everything turns super red and oh, very no. uncomfortable. That was a learning lesson right there. But really, that's all those things. They they yeah. put those three main things, and that's if you're really going what, well, to buy, yeah, they if want you to feel it. If you're gonna buy a pre workout, uh, and you can take stimulants, and you like it, and by the way, stimulants are great. If you manage your stimulant use, and you have a good tolerance, and you're healthy, stimulants are fun pre workout. A little bit of caffeine, it's going to make you stronger. You're going to perceive pain a little bit less. You're going to have a, a harder workout. You're probably going to be a better mood. Uh, while you're working out, there's there's some other benefits that may help you uptake glycogen. But again, we're splitting hairs. If you want to go, go with a pre-workout that's got some stimulant in it and has some ingredients that at least have some clinical research behind them, Legion. Legion would be the pre-workout that I would say if you want to go that route, right? He's got his uh, what's called Pulse. Yeah. Uh, that would be the one I would go. But stimulant-free, well, here's what you could do stimulant-free. You could take um, a supplement that is also shown to improve performance and help your body adapt to stress. So beta alanine might help a little bit with that. Cordyceps is another thing you can take. Um, uh, Four Sigmatic makes a great cordyceps supplement. I used it in my all-day workout the other day, um, and I like that. Uh, the red juice from Organifi has got some ingredients like rhodiola that might help a little bit with your performance. It's not necessarily 100% stimulant-free because rhodiola has got a very mild stimulant effect in some people. But it's not a classical stimulant like even like then. Like these are all, these are all companies that we promote and, and say great things about. But not, you'll still never hear any of us say that like you, it's an ideal situation that you ha- you take this thing before you work out. It's not like a game changer. No, it's no. not. It's there, there. There's many other big rocks that should be addressed. Now that's not to say too that you're somebody who is addressing a lot of those big rocks and you're like, hey, I want to get more performance out or I want to measure this and see what a difference is when I take mm-hmm. caffeine or I take cordyceps or whatever supplement we're talking about and you have extra money to spend by all means I think I just come from a place of being that teenage boy who spent the little money I had on these things these products trying to get this competitive edge totally not focused on the things that would really make the difference so that's the the passion I think that comes behind us as far as the almost anti-supplement vibe that we've always given, although yet you answered a question the other day, Sal, and openly admit, they're like, i probably take fucking more supplements than anybody, right? But it's the thing is, one, you're you're not a broke kid who's trying to build muscle and is not taking that, thinking that this is going to give him that edge to do that. You're enjoying it. Half the shit you're getting given to you for free. And you also have, you understand what all the big rocks are. So then you really have a good gauge of being able to measure like, oh, is this helping my performance? Is this helping my cognitive function? Is it helping my recovery? Here's what I do pre-workout. So if I'm going to take anything pre-workout, it's 200 milligrams of caffeine, 200 milligrams of theanine, uh, with the caffeine, it balances it out. Uh, sometimes I'll throw some cordyceps and some beta alanine, and that's it. So if I'm going to take anything, that would be my mix, and then I go work out. And sometimes I take nothing. Next question is from Amanda Madonna. When looking to hire a trainer, what are good questions to ask or qualifications to look for? Oh, yeah. Mm. Do you listen to Mind Pump? Yeah. yeah. That's the first one, right? That should be, that's the future. Verified. That's, that's the future of this. It's just, hey, you should be able to ask them. I mean, we've got a thousand episodes out. Pretty soon here, if you're a trainer and you haven't listened to Mind Pump, I don't know. You're suspect. Uh, yeah. You're suspect. At, yeah. at some point, I, I, I hope we can come up with a way for, you know, maybe some kind of, not a certificate, but something where people can see. Because this is a problem, Like, Unfortunately, there's a lot of great trainers out there. 
but there's enough bad ones out there that you know give personal training kind of a bad rap. It was, I think well, was there's, there's way more bad than there are good. Yeah, yeah for unfortunate. Sure. It's unfortunate. But I, I'll tell you, okay, here's a few things I would, I would, I would pay attention to. Are, what about the assessment? Look at the assessment that the trainer takes you through. If the trainer doesn't take you through an assessment and just takes you through a hard workout, that is a clear sign to me that this is not a good trainer. It would be like going to a, a mechanic and the mechanic doesn't even ask what the hell's wrong with the car. Yeah. They just take your car and they're just like, okay, cool, I'm going to change your tires. You're like, well, that's not the problem. <laughs> so an assessment's real important. Are they listening to what you need and what you want and your questions? Are they answering all your questions for you? And are they training you appropriately? In other words, when you're doing that assessment slash first workout, are you walking out of the gym feeling better or are you walking out of the gym feeling like you just went through war? If you're walking out feeling like you got beat up, that is not a good trainer. Yeah. That's somebody that's just trying to show off and trying to, you know, train you real hard. Yeah, I think too to do your homework more effectively is is to really just spend time in that gym that they work at and just pay attention, observe, watch, and and get a good feel for like how they interact and communicate with their clients. I mean. I, I'm sure it's not going to take, you know, that long, but even if you just did like a week of just like observing, you could get a lot better idea of like whether or not it's going to be a good match. I think one interaction will definitely tell you a lot, but um, in terms of like, if I'm really going to be diligent with this and, and, and try and find somebody that I know, you know, will be able to help me long term, I think it'd just be a good idea to just watch and, yeah. and see like no i think that's a that's a, the best place that's the a, best thing you can a do. brilliant piece of advice if you don't have a a personal person that you or a personal person a person that you can reach out to that has had a personal experience with one of these trainers they can refer like somebody saying hey i had this if you don't have that then i would highly re- i mean it's a major investment training's yeah. not cheap i mean you're 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 not leaving a a place even if it's probably the cheapest places 300 to a few thousand dollars that you're going to be investing in a trainer. I mean, before I make an investment like that, I'm going to want to watch how they work. I want to see how they. I want to see how they perform and what they're doing. And you can tell a lot by the interaction with a trainer and another client. You could tell by the client's facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Like, are they enjoying the process? Are they smiling? Are they engaged? Are they asking questions? Are they actually doing some work to see? I mean, I used to teach my trainers this because the fact that they there were studies that came out and showed that, or there were surveys they took that talked about the average client shops a trainer for three months. And so I'd always tell my trainers, like, you are always on display. So, you know, even if your client's just in in doing reps, and if you sitting still, I think is a bad habit. So I would teach them to be you're constantly moving around your client and assessing from all angles so you can get a, a better view of what where they could be deviating in some part of their body and the movement. And one, it keeps you busy. It makes you be attentive. You can't. You don't have any uh, desires or uh, temptations to look down at your phone and, and, and do something like that or look over at some hot chick that walks by or you know be looking off at the TVs while they're going and sports is on or some shit. Like you're focused in on your client. I'm I'm looking for someone like that. Like I know if they're attentive like that, that they're probably attentive to every. I mean, how you do anything is how you do everything. Right. So if they are treating that attentiveness to that client in that one hour, I'm most likely they're spending that attentiveness with your diet and with your programming. And so I think that's a really good place to start is to pay attention. Yeah, it you, is. You can really see how much they care too. Like, cause I mean, I I hate to say it, but there's there's trainers out there that are just like clocking in clocking out you know and this is like sort of a stepping stone for them 
uh, for some other career path. And like, you'll see right away who's treating it like this is going to be their career. And this is like what they're vested in, mm-hmm. uh, by the way that they interact with their clients and the way that they're prepared for them and right. the way they communicate, you know, their information to them and, uh, just their overall passion will just come through. So I yeah. pay attention to all those things. Yeah. And you know, ask yourself, do you like them? I mean, this is an important question. I think, uh, and, and now the truth is most people wouldn't hire someone they didn't like. But ask yourself, do you really like this person? Do you, do you think you mesh well with their personality when you first meet them? Because if you do work out with them, that's going to be an hour at a time hanging out with this person and working out. You're going to kind of want to you know, make sure that you like them. And here's the other thing. Hire a trainer for five or ten sessions to start out with. Mm. You'll get way more out of the – you'll get a lot more information training with that person for five to ten hours. That will give you a better you know, understanding of whether or not you should hire them for another – 20, 30, 40, 50 sessions. Like I, that'll tell you quite a bit. You sh- I think you'll have a good idea, in fact. If you train with a trainer for five to 10 sessions, you should have a pretty good idea as to whether or not this is somebody you're going to want to work with. And most trainers are not going to have a problem with that. Like if you walk up to a trainer, you do your assessment, you're like, look, um, I'd like to just hire you for five workouts just to see if this is going to work for me and if you're the kind of person that I think is going to work well with me and vice versa. Can we start off with just five and take it from there? I don't know any trainer that'll say no. Most trainers will be like, absolutely, let's do that and let's take it from there. And then that'll give you a better idea before you make a larger investment. Because the, the other thing, too, is to ask is to go directly to the fitness manager. Every gym will have. Oh, yeah, they'll probably yeah. put you in the right place. Right. There's Every gym will have uh, somebody who is the, what they call them, a fitness manager or a trainer manager or lead trainer, or you'll have someone who's ahead, of, leads all the trainers. And if you've got 20 tra- 15, 20 trainers there, that guy or girl who's leading all those trainers will be able to tell you who the best trainer is. And if you come and you – I, I used to love when clients would do that. We, they, I'd get a, a page at the front desk. They'd come back in the office, and they would, tell, they would lay out all their goals, what they want, and they'd say, Adam, who is your best trainer for me? And then I'd oh, great, that's easy. I, I mean, I just got to find out all about their personality. I know what their goals are. I know what, they, what the things that they really want. I know how to match this person really well. Mm-hmm. So – Go to go to the one of the managers there and actually ask their opinion on who you know. Say hey, and trust me, a manager who knows you're about to invest in their gym, right? You're going to spend money at their facility, <laughs> yeah. and you say they hey, want to get it right. Yeah, they're all going to want. It. They're going to take you become a, a, a quick priority than somebody else who the trainers are out there trying to convince to buy training. Oh, you better you believe if the manager sent a client to a trainer, that trainer needs to do a good job because right, they're being watched. Yeah, yeah. so that's a that's a very very smart strategy if you're a listener and you're looking to get invest in a trainers. Go straight to management and say, "Hey, I want to buy training, but I want I want your best trainer." You know, and you better believe you're going to get your best trainer, mm-hmm. the best trainer. I, I'm actually surprised more people that know they're going to buy training don't do that. Yeah. Next question is from Daniel De Hoyos. Eight is opening a gym a worthy investment? Can you talk about the business side of opening and managing a gym? That's so, a tough business. It's a fun topic. That is a that is a, a that is a very difficult business to. And here's why it's a difficult business. It typically uh, requires a lot of capital. Yep. Um, even a small gym is going to cost a lot. Even a tiny gym will cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars just because of the equipment um, it takes and the space that you're going to be renting. Um, and the time investment is a lot. It's almost like you ever talk to a, a restaurant owner and you ask them what their hours are like? They work a lot of hours. There's so many moving parts. you got to be a part of it. You have to be in the culture because there's constant customers or potential customers all the time 
if you're lucky coming through your gym, right? People working all the time. So you want to maintain that good culture. And so running a gym just requires a lot of time also. I mean, when I managed gyms, even when I was at my best, when I had the best staff working for me, I mean, I was still in there 10, 11 hours a day, just, you know, being in there in the morning in the prime time when most people would be working out. So it's, it's now here's the, here's the good side of it. If you're super, super passionate about fitness, you get to own a gym. Yeah. You get to work in a gym all day long. And if that's who you are, go for it. I don't recommend anybody who doesn't have a passion for fitness buying a gym and thinking, I'm just going to make money. Oh, like it's an investment. Yeah. I don't think that's I think that's, it's as simple as that. I think it's, you know, are you somebody who cares more about, you know, hey, being able to have your own gym, to paint it the way you want, to name it what you want, to color the equipment the way you want, to come to work in your slippers if you like, to work out naked whenever you want to. Like if this is the stuff that you hear that and you're like, fuck yeah, that's cool. That's what I want to be able, that's what I want for a living. And to be able to do that, I think it's a it's a great idea. But if you get into it thinking that you're going to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. I think that's a really bad idea. Yeah. Because I've known tons and and, and Big names, even like the Jason Kalipas. One of the things that would shocked me, and I, I won't air out his laundry as far as revenue and stuff like that, but I was very surprised by he still fell in that average dollar amount of what that size of a gym would make. And he's got 31 of them all over the world. And you would think someone who has 31 facilities, that's just, oh man, there must be a ton of fucking money. But when I asked him details on revenue, he falls right in the medium of what most people do that have these. If Dude, you-, you know what one of the big issues is, is they look at companies like 24 Hour Fitness and how much money they made. Like it got valued at, you know, what, billion dollars at one point. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I was just thinking about this the other day, the structure, the uh, systems, the training that they did at 24 Hour Fitness during those days was insane was it, absolutely insane impeccable I, I made i did a sales training the other day for trainers and i told them go get on the intercom and make an announcement tell people those free assessments at the front desk and everybody looked at me yeah. like i was like a genius well, just that alone like what other gym franchise do you know values sales and teaches sales they, they don't they I, don't i used to listen when I, when managing gyms this came from headquarters you do what was like four announcements a day. Here's your structured announcements. Here and these are over the intercom. I, I mean, th- it was all part of the process. Here's what you do when you when you see a member. Here's how you give a tour to a member. Here's, here's how the, you present. Here's the twenty questions you ask them when you sit down with them. Yeah. Here's right. here's what personal in training. In strategic order for specific reasons because you're trying to pull out information to lead into a oh, sale. They maximized the hell. They turned it into a business, but it was struck. Like we used to get reports every day. I would get a PPR report, which is a personal production report, so I knew what everybody was selling in the company, and they knew this because mm-hmm. people would get competitive. I had a daily production mm-hmm. report, mm-hmm. which was what the gym did, and they broke everything down. Amount of people checking into your gym, how many guests you got, what percentage of them got sold, what percentage of them got a pass, the kind of memberships they bought, your monthly dues, your sales. I mean, all this crazy, insane structure of just to make it a very profitable business. Then you get a bunch of people like, oh, I'm going to open a gym and make a lot of money because I see these gyms make a lot of money. It is a lot, a uh, lot of work to go in and do that. It's a whole other monster. Oh, it's a crazy monster. Yeah, no, it's a whole other monster. So I, I think that, and the the numbers, the medium is, is like 60 to 150. Mm. 60 grand a year is like kind of the, 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 the bottom. And if I would say any, if you're performing under 80, I would say you, you need work. You need to definitely work on your model. Talk about profit. Yeah, profit wise. Uh, and the high end, typically 150. Now, that doesn't mean there's some person who's listening to this podcast right now that's 
done an amazing job and has low overhead for whatever reason. What and they're and they've made maybe two hundred, mm. but those are outliers for the the average that you're looking for. Is and then on top of that, that eight to to generate that sixty to one fifty k a year range requires you to work your ass off. Well, Most of all those facilities, their their trainers or the the guy or girl who owns the 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 place lives in it. Yeah, lives in it. Is working full full time. But they love it, right? They I mean you you should, right? You shouldn't get into it well, if that's, you're not going to love those the, things. That's the the main thing is and and why we I guess have sort of cautioned a bit more and leaned on that is because you can you can definitely make that with way less overhead just training. And yeah. that that is something that is very attainable yeah. and even more so like option wise and flexibility wise and lifestyle wise. Um, but if like, I, I do understand the appeal of owning your own gym. That's like something that people get excited about because it's, you know, you show up, you're known for this spot, you know, this location and there's something like, uh, you know, that draws people to that because it's, it does, it's a good feeling to have oh, your own place. I want to, I, I want to do this one day, but I've always said that I would never want to do it to where I have to make money from it. Yeah. I want to do it the same way you should buy a bar. They say the same thing about bars. Like that's not, it's not a, it's not a smart investment to try. Oh, I'm going to start this bar down where there's 40 other yeah, bars. I'm going to hire a manager to run it and I don't need to be there and I'm going to make all this passive income. Right. I'm not going to happen. No, it's yeah. the, it's, it's the, it's the thing you do when you're 65 and you've made a fuck ton of money and you can go throw $300,000 on it. You can go get a liquor license and a bunch of money. You don't need it to profit or make any money because you're fucking rich or you have other incomes coming in to handle it. If even if it's at a loss and you want a place to hang out with your boys and have a cigar mm -hmm. and fucking watch sports. Sports. Like that's why you do that. I feel the same way with the gym thing. I want that too. Like I and, and we kind of have that now, right? So I feel like we do with this gym that we use in here for shooting video. We all obviously work out a lot of the time here too. And but we it it nobody comes in here. It doesn't. There's no money being made by training clients or servicing people to keep it open. And I, I would never want that stress because yeah. there's other things that I want to do. I just do. and plus the the just the overhead of opening a gym. Like let's say you open a twenty thousand square foot, which is like not a massive gym. That's a normal size gym with just machines, weights, and cardio, and maybe a small uh, you know group X room. Right? You don't even have a pool. You don't have all that other crazy stuff. Which forget that. that yeah, that, the bare essentials. Just the kind of the essentials of what it would be to be kind of uh, competitive somewhat. You know, how much do you think it would cost yeah. to open, buy that equipment or rent that equipment, lease it, whatever, to get it going? Half a million to a million? You're going to be spending a lot of money. At least a quarter. Yeah, at, le at least a quarter. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about- for, for decent machines. But I'm talking so. about, you know, if you you, you got to give yourself how much time before you're going to be not going to be making any money. And you're going to be talking about a huge amount of capital. All those loans. Yeah, it's so. going to be a lot of capital. Yeah. And staff that goes in well, there. Well, the point that Justin made, I think, is such a good point is that, you know- if if you're looking to make a because there's nothing wrong to make a hundred to hundred fifty grand a year that's very respectable money and in some places of the country it's great fucking money so and to be your own boss that's a that's pretty awesome but if it's you're just looking for a way to create hundred fifty k a year it'd be a lot easier just being a trainer you can make that or more working on your craft there and raising your prices with way less stress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Way, way less stress by doing that. But if I know you, a few I know a few trainers who did that who yeah. actually went, bought and started their own studios, sold their studios and then went and just started training well you know, we just contract. Uh, I mean I don't I won't throw him under the bus either on air right now, but one of my guys who, you know, fuck I hired him when he was nineteen years old. He's thirty now. 
and he's had his gym for the last three years. He after the kind he and he kind of followed my path where he worked at Twenty Four Hour Fitness. Then he went to uh, doing like uh, boot camps and, and group training like that. Uh, then he decided he wanted to open up his own studio, and and he was successful at it. He's got I think like eight trainers or so that work underneath him. But I know he he works his ass off, and he's got a ton of people. And he came to me one day, and he's just like, he's like, you know, Adam, I'm, I've made good money, I've done this, but the management side of it, I don't. He's like, I don't like it. He's like, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be done with it. And so he just he just literally sold and walked away just two weeks ago. Uh, for that exact reason, and he was successful. He was successful at it. Was uh, on the upper tier of of what people could make in those in that in that place. But he just absolutely dreaded the grind of having to train as much as he did in order to generate that much revenue. And then in addition to that, having to oversee 10, 12 people to keep them motivated and working and doing. He's just like, oh man, it's not what I what I expected it to be. So that's you got to think of those things that. You know, do you would do you like building a team? Because I like a lot of that shit. So I, I could get down with this. I could see if I didn't have to chase a dollar and I could just go build just something. For fun. Yeah, for fun at my pace. I would I would enjoy building like a little red dot version of a gym. Mm-hmm. I really would. I think I could see the three of us doing that at one point uh, when we have built this thing to be a little bit more automated to where we have a little more le- flexibility to go and get our hands involved in stuff. Because I would love to start up these little pods the size of like Red Dot. And within there, we teach trainers the MAPS philosophy and all the programs. And we we have a, and we build it the way we'd want to build it. So it'd be the most impactful for clients, but may not be the most profitable for us right away. But I doing it the right way and slow, man, I would love to do that. It, it is. would be fun. Yeah, it, it would be a lot of fun. It's a, it's a look, it's a, it's a, a labor of love. You know, again, it, the big mistake, the biggest, absolute biggest mistake I've seen there's two with people opening gyms. One is it's the fitness enthusiast that thinks that they're just going to open a great gym and people are going to show up and want to work out there. Uh, and they have no experience or desire to do anything with marketing or sales. Big mistake. And then the other one is the person that really doesn't like fitness, doesn't really care about fitness. They're just a business person. And they think, oh, this looks easy. I'm just going to open up this gym because I've seen that they succeed and it's going to succeed. That's another big mistake. Those are, the, I guess, the two biggest uh, problems that I've seen with people failing in the gyms. It's like the fitness guy who has doesn't know how to market and sell and the non-fitness person who's like, I'm going to open a crunch because they're they're, you know, they're getting really popular and let's see what happens. I think I'll throw some money on it and just hire a manager and then they realize cuz I'll tell you what, man, you know, managing some of the gyms I've managed, the team in the gym, the manager in the gym could literally make the difference between you know, doing a certain amount per month or double. That's how big of a difference the the, the team in the gym can make. So the gym itself, you know, is responsible for not that much at all. It's the people in the gym and how it's run, and it'll blow you away. I knew clubs that would go in the red, switch the team out, put a manager oh, and some yeah. salespeople in there, and the next thing you know, that club is crushing and profiting. Same equipment, same town, everything's the same, just a better team. It makes right. that big of a difference. So look, if you go to mindpumpfree.com, you can download our guides for free. We have fat loss guides, muscle building guides, get better squat guides. We have guides for personal trainers too. Again, it's at mindpumpfree.com. You can also find us all on social media. We're all on Instagram. You can find Justin at mindpumpjustin. You can find me at mindpumpsal, and you can find Adam at mindpumpadam. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. 
Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.